0: so um the second case for oral argument is 20-6014 NRA jeffrey d brooks jeffrey d brooks versus first central bank mccook mr Wordeman,
1: may it please the court my name is andrew d Wordeman. on behalf of debtor appellant jeffrey d brooks the issues in this appeal are narrow There whether the bankruptcy court abused its discretion in granting relief from the stay by misapplying the law to the facts and by finding that the bank had made a prima facie case of cause under 11 U.S.C. Section 362D. Brooks argued that the bankruptcy court incorrectly found that the bank had made a prima facie case of default and also that the law was misapplied to the facts in two ways first, by disregarding his unsworn declaration as valid evidence, and second, by disregarding the negotiation requirement under the plain terms of the plan. This appeal arises from an order by the bankruptcy court granting Predator appellate First Central Bank McCook's motion for relief from the automatic stay pursuant to 11 U.S.C. Section 362D1, which generally says that a court can grant relief from a stay for cause. Parties- Mr.
0: Wordman, Mr. Worderman, this is Judge Nail. Um, is Debtor claiming that he was not in default under the plan?
1: That is the case, Your Honor.
0: Debtor was not in default despite make, failing to make the payments on January 15.
1: That is the case, Your Honor. Debtor claims that because under the plain terms of the plan... While the payments were due at that time, there was also explicitly a provision in the plan requiring that if FSA would allow for renegotiation of the loan, then the bank and Brooks
0: had to come to the table.
1: And that's the payment.
0: Excuse me, excuse me, can you point me to the part of the plan or the provision in the plan that says that uh, the the state of negotiations affected the due date of the January 15 payment? I'm looking for something in the plan that says if negotiations are underway or if negotiations are being explored then the January 15 payment is excused or is delayed in some manner. Is that is that in the plan?
1: I think it is in the plan and it's I have it as on page 7 and I think it's article 14 14c1 and that part of the plan explicitly says that that there has to be an attempt at renegotiation and the reason I think that the plan reads the way it does is because in combination if the if there were no attempt at renegotiation then or excuse me essentially the way that the, the bank has it, the bank says that if there's the payment missed on that day then it's default but that reads the attempt at renegotiation requirement out of the plan entirely. And Brooks was relying on this attempt at renegotiation. He was understanding that while these renegotiations are underway, that the due payment obviously would not be subject. And then if, at some point, both parties realized that negotiations weren't going to go anywhere, then, of course, it would default to the original terms of the plan.
2: Mr. Redman, this is Judge Dow. Under your interpretation, would the payment just never become due? if the parties never got around to talking to FSA and asking if it would be willing to renegotiate or or initiating negotiations?
1: So, Your Honor, my understanding of the plan is that there would be two ways, and this would be the prima facie case the bank had to put forward. The bank either had to show that FSA was willing for renegotiation to take place, and then let's say negotiations failed, then the payment would be due. If FSA was not willing, then and the bank had to put forward evidence Of one of these two scenarios. And very notably, they don't have any evidence of this on the record before the panel on appeal today. The bank put forward no evidence on this matter. But if FSA had not been willing for them to renegotiate, then the plain terms of the plan would have obviously applied and January 15th would have been the due date. And because the banks failed to put forward any evidence on this matter, they necessarily could not have shown that they met their prima facie case, which was their burden of proof as the the movement under 11 U.S.C. Section 362D. Uh, The only evidence they did put forward relevant to this matter was the affidavit of Jason Hawkswell. Now, that affidavit explicitly only says that they didn't know of any such willingness on FSA's part, which is certainly not the same as affirmative evidence one way or the other. the the affidavit also says that the FSA, excuse me, FSA would have been willing or wanted a court order in place. And as soon as Brooks was aware that there was a court order desired by FSA, Brooks decided to go ahead and get an amended Chapter 12 plan, a post-confirmation plan. The bank objected to that plan. So I think it's not very, I think it's clear that under the terms of the plan, the bank has not actually put forward any evidence that they have been coming to the table as required by that term of the plan. Um, to at least have attempts at renegotiation. Uh, so that was the second issue on appeal. The first issue on appeal is the misapplication of law to the facts. I think it's very important that even assuming that the bank did, and this is not something that the Brooks concedes, but assuming arguendo that the bank did put forward a prima facie case, um, the bankruptcy court disregarded plainly Brooks'. Evidence of an unformed declaration as valid evidence. And this is contrary to 28 U.S.C. Section 1746, which says that unformed declarations can be used as evidence, and numerous federal and bankruptcy courts do use unformed declarations in matters such as motions for summary judgment.
2: Mr. Warderman, this Judge out again. That's not what the bankruptcy court said, was well, the ranking court didn't say, oh, I'm, I'm disregarding that because it's an unformed declaration under Title 28.
1: Uh, so, Your Honor, the, in the hearing, the bankruptcy court says there's no evidence of that. They don't use words saying the evidence isn't probative or it's not compelling, or even it's not as compelling as the bank's evidence. They say there's right. no. So,
2: maybe the court disregarded the evidence, and that's another issue. But it didn't say, "Oh, that doesn't qualify as evidence because it's an unsworn declaration."
1: Your Honor, my understanding of the of the hearing was that counsel for Brooks said, "Here's our evidence that FSA was willing." And then subsequently, the bankruptcy court said, well, there is no evidence of that. So to me, the the plain meaning is that they don't think it's evidence for some reason.
0: Uh, Mr. Whiteman, this is Judge Nail again. I'm I'm looking at the transcript, and what I'm seeing is the bankruptcy court said the fact is debtor did not make those payments. There is no evidence to the contrary. So under the express terms of the plan, the debtor, I'm sorry, the creditor is entitled to relief from the automatic state. Clearly, the bankruptcy court was looking at the issue of the January 15 payments, which there's no dispute, weren't made in total, um, and that the bankruptcy court viewed the plan as, that is that constituting a default under the plan? Now, I understand you disagree and you think the plan says something else, but the real issue is, if that's what the plan says, the evidence you were proposing didn't go to denying the payment wasn't made. So wasn't the bankruptcy court simply saying there was a default under the plan, that default entitled uh, the bank to relief from the stay, and I don't need to hear evidence of the negotiations?
1: Your Honor, you know, I understand
0: you don't agree with the, bank, the, the bankruptcy court's determination, but that's really what the bankruptcy court was saying, wasn't it?
1: Yes, Your Honor. I think that that part part of the transcript actually goes to the second error. I say was a misapplication of law to the facts, which was that um, I, uh, Brooks argues that the bank, the bankruptcy court, mis or read the requirement to attempt to negotiate language out entirely. But for this specific part,
2: I was excuse actually me, referring-
0: Mr. Wordeman, You have 30 seconds.
1: Thank you. I'm sorry. Said, 90
0: for- seconds. Oh.
1: Thank you. I was actually referring to an earlier part of the transcript where counsel for Brooks says that he has evidence, and this is, I think, directly quoted in either our main brief or our reply brief, that he has evidence on that regard, and then the bankruptcy court replies saying that it is not evidence after all. So I think that the portion you directly quoted was a fair uh, statement, but I was referring specifically to an earlier part of the transcript and for the reason previously stated, we respectfully ask for the bankruptcy appellate panel to reverse the decision of the bankruptcy court. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Mr. Waterman. Mr. Peterson? Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court, my name is David Peterson. I'm an attorney in North Platte, Nebraska, representing for Central Bank. Um, at the time this plan was negotiated, the parties didn't know if Farm Service Agency would even let them renegotiate, and that's why the provision... Is there. The idea was it was possible they would see what they could do as far as renegotiation. This was for the, the benefit of the debtor. Um, and basically, what I've seen in the briefs and what I'm hearing is the debtor's taking a position. It was on the, the burden was on the bank to do something. And um, I don't know how we prove a negative, but there's disputed evidence. And I agree with what the court was just saying. I don't think the bankruptcy court disregarded uh, the unsworn declaration. I think they. The judge did, just didn't believe it said what the the debtor said.
0: Um, and well, Mr. Yeah, Peterson, just, Mr. Peterson mm-hmm. excuse me, this is Judge Neal. Uh, so you don't agree with uh, Mr. Worderman that the January 15 payments were somehow conditioned on or subject to negotiations?
3: We don't agree with that. There is nothing in the plan that talks about uh, staying it or anything like that. And I, I think the record shows the length of time, both before the January 15th date and after. The bank didn't just pull the rug out from under them. There was, there were attempts to try to see what could be done, and there just comes a point where the bank says, you know, enough, we need to move forward. Uh, but I don't think there's anything that, that modifies that January 15th date, even though it was Oops. a practical matter that,
0: I'm sorry? What's specifically about the uh, the Article 14C one on page seven? I believe that was the the provision of the plan that Mr. Werderman directed us to. Um, I, I, that's the provision. If I I don't have the plan pulled up right now, but my recollection is that is the provision that was talking about uh, a basically attempt uh, to negotiate. Is there anything in there that would subject those negotiations or? Um, uh, make those negotiations a basis for delaying the January 15th payment?
3: We don't believe so, Your Honor. I can; It's fairly short. I can read this provision in 14A. The first sentence says, The terms of the FSA loan on Jeff's FSA real estate shall remain unchanged, period. And it goes on to say, In the event FSA will allow Jeff and the bank to renegotiate that loan, then the parties agree to attempt to renegotiate the loan on terms similar to uh, to the terms for repayment of the balance of Jeff's debt. So the first thing is nothing changes the FSA loan because there wasn't any any reason to believe we could do it. In the event we could do it, then I don't think there's any dispute that we were we we're willing to talk about it, but it never happened. Um, and I don't think it's through any fault of the bank uh, any delays or anything like that. The uh, I think that it's not disputed that the payment wasn't made. Um, the position of the debtor seems to be that the debtor or the bank was required to attempt to renegotiate the loan if if FSA approved negotiations, and even that I'm not sure is true. I don't think we ever got to that stage, but um, in good faith, I think the bank would have done that, but we never did get to that stage. So um, I don't have a whole lot to add to what we already had in our brief or what we discussed. I'd be glad to answer any other questions. We'd ask that
2: the well, courts. Th- th- This, this is Judge Dow. I think maybe you're not giving the debtor's argument quite enough credit or meeting it head on. The second sentence says clearly that any event FSA will allow Jeff and the bank to renegotiate that loan, and the parties agree to attempt to renegotiate. So it seems to me there was an obligation to renegotiate if FSA said it was willing to do so. And the debtor submitted an affidavit, one paragraph of which said the FSA had indicated its willingness to do so, the bankruptcy court did not deal with that particular paragraph of the affidavit. So if FSA was willing to do so, then weren't the parties required to renegotiate, and might that not have implicated the first payment date?
3: I don't believe it would implicate the first payment date. I think that there's a good faith requirement, and I, you know i look back on this and when we negotiated maybe we should have been more specific as far as what was actually required but it, the bottom line was that we didn't have to come to an agreement i mean even if fsa had said which we don't think there's any evidence that, they're, that they did uh, the the ev- evidence should have been from fsa something from fsa saying we said we'd do this our our evidence was from our loan officer that he talked to fsa and there still wasn't any any Permission or whatever you'd call it to renegotiate. So, oh,
2: well, your, your affidavit merely said they hadn't heard from FSA, and in some other place you submitted evidence, I guess, that said that they might require an order. But as Mr. Woodman pointed out, didn't the debtor immediately then file a motion to modify the plan so that that order could be obtained?
3: Well, first of all, I don't know that it was immediate. I'm not sure when it was, when that was done. I don't have that in front of me. But the other thing is it. This had been going on for six, seven months, and uh, I just, I think the bank, in good faith, did what they were supposed to do, and that was see if FSA would allow that when they wouldn't. I do think that the bankruptcy judge addressed that, that maybe I'm not understanding your question, but the fact that it hadn't gotten done.
2: Um, Is there a time limit on it in this, this 4 january paragraph?
3: January 15th, because otherwise it says, first sentence that the terms remain unchanged. Which would be back to that January
0: 15 date. Well but just as just now that wouldn't have been the only payments, or would that have been the only payments on the debt? Were there ongoing payments? There were two. Basically the FSA
3: debt was carved out separately because it had terms that weren't negotiable. Every other all the other debt that they had with the bank uh, was lumped into this this other payment due January fifteenth. So that one they could modify the terms, and they did as part of that plan. The one that could not be modified without FSA consent and agreement by the parties was the that deficit payment we're talking about here.
0: Okay, but so maybe sure. I'm not asking the question uh, well. Um, was that a one-time payment and that was paid off and they were done, or would there, under the existing agreements, would there have been payments in the future? There would be there would be
3: payments, and it was those payments that would have to be renegotiated. In other words, right, so even after, Jan- and
0: so forth. even after January 15, if the January 15 payments had been made, even after January 15, there could still have been a renegotiation of future payments.
3: That would, be, I would say that's true. I think once FSA gave the okay to it, they could probably do it at any time. But once we got past January 15th, I don't think the bank had any obligation to continue trying to figure out what the debtor was going to do. And in fact, there were three months that went by where they did have discussions and still nothing happened. And to this day, that other payment hasn't been made. What other questions or do I need to address? If nothing else, we would ask that the court affirm the bankruptcy court's decision in this. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Peterson.
0: Ms. Harrison, does Mr. Worderman have any time remaining? Um, yes. Let's see. He has. He still has many seconds not. left.
3: Mr. Worderman, if you would like to use your time for a rebuttal.
1: Thank you. I would. The bank has put forward no evidence regarding any attempts at renegotiation, no evidence before this court. And as the bank itself has admitted, the plan, the confirmed Chapter 12 plan, was subject to lengthy negotiations between Debtors Council and Banks counsel. people trying to hammer out a deal that was fair to both parties, part of that deal involved. An attempt to re- or a requirement that both parties would try to come to the table and try to work out the FSA loan payment, or if FSA would allow that. The debtor has paid, the debtor paid $55,000 of the payment that was due. He assumed that because he had been making overtures and it was his understanding that FSA would allow renegotiations, that the remaining payment would somehow be would be subject to negotiation he assumed he was abiding by the plan but the bankruptcy court didn't address that provision that was included in the plan for debtor's benefit the bank doesn't acknowledge that, that chance that that requirement that provision was included in the plan for debtor's benefit the bank didn't give the debtor the benefit of that provision and it was an abuse of discretion for the bankruptcy court not to recognize the negotiation negotiated efforts of that provision in the plan, and thank you.
2: Thank you, Mr. Worderman. Thank you, Mr. Peterson. We will take these matters under consideration.
0: Thank you, thank you. Court will be in recess until further notice.